0: This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. And on this Monday program, the end of the softball season, man, there was plenty of drama as we promised there probably would be in the stands and on the diamond, of course, on Friday afternoon. What a game, but UCF defeats the Bulls. And what made it doubly intriguing was what happened in the first semifinal where there was a chance for the Bulls really, truly to make the NCAA tournament. Wichita State got knocked off by Tulsa. And sure enough, UCF, after edging past the Bulls in a nail-biter, easily won the championship game in run rule. And oh yeah, that could have been the Bulls. Oh well, it happens sometimes, but we'll celebrate the season that was. Also celebrate a lot of conference champions from track and field. We're about to do that here. The track and field three-day event hosted by USF. It was great to watch it on ESPN+. A thrilling 400-meter hurdles victory among the handful of championships for the Bulls. We'll tell you how they ended up as a team, and a lot of them did not end up their seasons because the NCAA meets are yet to be announced as far as the fields, and we expect plenty of Bulls to be involved when it comes to those. In our second block, we'll go over the baseball weekend. No highlights because we didn't do the broadcasts. Friday was one of the best wins of the season, and then Saturday, a doubleheader defeat, and we'll give you the honest goodness Outlook for the Bulls entering the final week of the regular season, including an injury which might not help their chances, and we'll also tell you about more additions to Amir Abdul Rahim's men's basketball staff. And by the way, I am putting in some requests to interview several of these new members, if not the entire new staff. But we'll get to that as I said in our second block. So even though it's the off season for some sports and a little bit the off season for Bulls beat. We don't take June and July off completely, but there are less actual games. In fact, just baseball now that softball is complete. No, there will not be a postseason run as far as the softball equivalent to the NIT. We'll actually tell you who got into that field, too. But we are going to go ahead and go to our summer approach as far as just doing the show three times a week. So today, Wednesday and Friday, that'll give me a little bit of a head start on getting a whole ton of off-air things. Well, some of it affects what ends up on air, but Things that I just don't have time to do during the course of the season once play-by-play hits, man, especially with football. It's all about getting all of our broadcasts on the air and, of course, game prep, but fewer teams to prep for. In fact, with baseball, they do play tomorrow and then later on this week against East Carolina. And then next week, it's a conference tournament. And Yeah, we sure hope the season extends beyond next week, but there's a real chance that we are less than two weeks away from no more play-by-play for the summer. So just a little bit of a heads up there. Bulls beat beginning today will just be on three times a week. And we'll begin this show with track and field. Three full days of hosting, and we'll get to Sunday in a second, but, yeah, it was three days, so Friday saw a lot of prelims, along with kind of a cool thing. You already knew that Romain Beckford was the national champion as far as the indoor high jump. What I didn't know is that he could also casually, you know, toss the javelin if needed. And since this is a conference meet where, unlike normal meets, you actually have team scores, and you're trying to finish as highly as you can, every little event that you can add some points in helps. And so Romain Beckford went ahead and was third place in the Javelin. He's not going to win any championships in that, but nice little added skill set being shown. A lot of student-athletes, again, were just trying to qualify for the finals later on in the weekend in events like the 200 meter dash. While that was going on, you did have some high marks as far as USF program records being set. Even though these were in qualifying events, they still count. Chevoy Reed, a 20.71 seconds in the 200 meter dash on the men's side, that is the second best time ever in usf history saturday featured a five-hour break thanks to lightning so there was some early starts some stuff that carried over that was supposed to take place friday night namely the long distance races and then it ended up pretty late in the day on saturday and the highlight for the bulls was Nia robinson the junior and junior college transfer from jamaica miss robinson set the school and conference record in the long jump with a leap of 6.69 meters, which is 21 feet 11 and a half inches, basically just shy of 22 feet. And she surpassed the previous AAC title meet record by .11 meters and I went ahead and did the math just in case some of you are not on the metric system. That's more than four and a third inches. That's pretty significant. Usually when you have records get set, it's by hundreds of seconds or centimeters when it comes to inches and for a long jump record to be bested by more than four inches, that is pretty impressive. Same event, Shania Benjamin her teammate, finished in fifth place. And again, Saturday like Friday was a lot about advancing to the Sunday finals, and a ton of bulls did so and some of them set school marks. One that had stood since nineteen ninety eight, that was Janaya Burton in the four hundred meter dash. She is the freshman who originally is from Orlando and transferred in from Louisville. And then some though they didn't set marks, they set personal marks, like Patricia Rochopha in the 200-meter run, 2 minutes, 12.85 seconds. Just missed making it to the finals. Same was the case with their teammate, Arden LaRose. There actually were not too many scoring opportunities on Saturday. If you win a race or an event, you get 10 points, and then it drops to 8 for 2nd place on down to 1 for 8th place. Victor Steiner grabbed a point for the Bulls in the men's long jump with an 8th place finish, and you did see decathlon, heptathlon, and long-distance runs, basically, on Saturday as far as points were scored, and the Bulls really did not even have competitors in a lot of those wichita state had a ton in the decathlon for example so those are events that don't always take place during the course of the regular season and of course decathlon means you are dedicating a lot of your time and it's kind of hard to do a lot of other events so the bulls just choose not to do that and you still get points for that but on sunday a lot of opportunities to score and the bulls were doing it and you never want to take a championship for granted by the way we talked about robinson she Actually won that event by a foot and a half, and Romain Beckford was probably going to be, as he was the indoor conference champion and the indoor national champion, also be the outdoor high jump champ, and indeed he was. There were five winners in all for the Bulls. Again, Beckford was the vast favorite in the high jump, and. Much less scoring points in the javelin a couple of days before he and Wichita State junior Brady Palin were actually clear of the rest of the field by three heights. And when he got up to the 2.17 meters height, Beckford got it on his second attempt. Palin went 0 for 3. Actually, Beckford went ahead and tried. He skipped the next height. He went for the record of 2.23 meters before settling, you know, for the gold medal in first place. His teammate Kendall Mosley scored five points for the Bulls by finishing in fourth place in the high jump. And we mentioned Wichita State sort of being a team that put a lot of competitors in a lot of different events that helped them win the championship. When it came to the sprinting events, Houston was, of course, the team to beat, and they won a lot of those events, so the Bulls didn't get a ton of victories, but they were right up there. Wichita State ended up basically winning because they had a bunch of guys in the decathlon. They scored 154 points, and that was two points better than Houston, which only had a couple of competitors in that event, so really, Houston was kind of the top traditional dog when it came to track and field on the men's side. And on the women's side, UCF was expected to win, and they dominated. The women, though, for the Bulls, did come in fourth place out of 11 teams, while the men were fifth out of eighth. And the 4x400 relay unit of the Bulls pulled off the championship. Shania Benjamin, Zariah Others, lebird Denisha Anderson, who we haven't mentioned too much. She is a senior from the Bahamas, was on that unit, as was Janiah Burton. Again, a championship in that race burton and benjamin were on the third place four x one relay team Taryn peterson and jadeja baxter were also in that group again houston was really the track champion if you call it track and field which is what you call it that's why high jump counts that's why pole vault counts wichita was the overall winner so to finish just behind the houston cougars in any event that's a pretty big deal And the four x 400 meter relay team for the men actually set a school record while doing so. Dante O'Banion, Chavoy Reed, who had a great weekend, Michael Bourne III, and Elijah Wright, they were right behind Houston in the 4x400-meter finals, and basically the gap from second to third was more than 2.5 seconds, which is a load. Oh, speaking of running the 400 meters around the track one time, Chavoy Reed, whose qualifying time as preliminaries had him in the final, it was fourth best, He won that race with a time of 45.96 seconds, so another title. And probably the most dramatic, as I alluded to earlier, went down to the 400-meter hurdles. As You're starting to get tired as you go around the track, and it was just something else to watch. We retweeted the video at Derek Sharp, by the way. Sanique Walker, now I'm not a track expert, but you can always tell in the hurdles race, especially the longer one. Even though they're staggered where you start around the track, you can tell right away whoever hits the hurdle first is in the lead. And she, the whole way through, was hitting the hurdle at the exact same moment as Houston, Sydney, Townsend. So it was going to come down to who had that extra burst at the end. And wow, it was exciting. Walker wins it in a time that not only broke the meet and school record of 55.87 seconds, but is sixth nationally. And after... Walker, Townsend finished a little more than a tenth of a second behind. Then there was a drop-off of nearly four seconds to the next competitors. A couple were bulls, so they also point Madeline Abega and Shakia Plummer. But congratulations to Sanique Walker. That was astonishing to watch. It was extremely dramatic. Nia Robinson was not done jumping with the long jump on Saturday. She pointed in both the triple and the high jumps on Sunday, and both were top ten in school history. Men's pole vault, how about a new school record? Kobe Babbin finished second in the competition, cleared 17 feet 7 inches. Again, a school record for Kobe Babbin, who we've interviewed here on this show, the kid from up in the Destin area. Also, Stone Baker, who's from the Newport Ritchie area, finished right behind him with his new personal best, and that was in third place. Noah Bitter also gave the Bulls points in the pole vault. They always do so well in that event and the one more champion to tell you about definitely don't want to discount him michael born the third conference champ in the 400 meter hurdles that time was fifth on the all-time list it wasn't quite neck and neck like in the women's 400 meter hurdle race but he was just ahead about a half second ahead of a houston runner so outstanding job by the bulls if you want all of the results. Head to go USFBulls.com. We're definitely not done talking about them because a lot of their efforts, especially a lot of the winners, are going to carry many USF student athletes into the NCAA equivalent of the tournament. The East preliminary meet is in Jacksonville in a couple of weeks. This week is about finding out who qualifies. And of course, ultimately, you want to try and make it to Austin, Texas for the final meet of the season, June 7th through June 10th in Austin, Texas having been in Austin with baseball in the early part of June a couple years ago, that will meet the definition of an outdoor track and field event because it'll be 100 degrees or so and let's hope the Bulls are part of that action. Great stuff. And again, overall, it was Wichita State, then Houston. The Bulls were fifth out of eight teams, if you're wondering. UCF does actually not compete in men's track and field, which is strange. But guys like Zaquan Wilkin and Jaleel Kroll, both pointing in the 100-meter finals. I mean, it was just a lot of tremendous showings for USF, and even though Chavoy Reed finished in third place in the 200-meter dash, it was still quite an effort up and down the line for the guys and gals. And we brought up the point that the Bulls don't compete in certain events, steeplechase being one, and we bring up that point because it was Wichita, Houston, and Cincinnati well above everybody else, Then it was Memphis in fourth with 104 points, and the Bulls had 103, and then it was a pretty big drop-off to Tulsa, which was distance event focused as the Golden Hurricane usually are. So Bulls truly were a top half overall team. Barely got outpointed by Memphis. And I mentioned the steeplechase specifically because there were actually only nine competitors in that. And Memphis had first place, fourth place, and seventh place. That was good for 17 points. And I talked about the decathlon. There were only 11 competitors in that, more than half from Wichita State and all but one of them pointed, so there's ways to score, kind of, I don't want to say slyly, because if you're good at an event, I'm not going to discount anybody that does well in the decathlon. Let's just say the non-traditional track and field events can boost your score. Now, as far as the women, as we mentioned, UCF ran away with it. Houston second with 105 points, Cincy 93 Bulls, 78 points. Tulsa, 72. So, fourth out of 11th and a pretty clear fourth best. Outstanding stuff. Well, it was quite an effort on Friday afternoon talking about the softball team. It just felt like the Bulls were finally, after not being able to do it earlier this year, getting swept at UCF and not being able to beat the nights the previous 11 meetings, that it was going to happen. It didn't. So, admittedly, some at times, agonizing highlights. That's a word that I don't often use during a broadcast, but it kept popping up. <laughs> on Friday afternoon, losing to UCF 2-0 in the AAC semifinals. What happened in the first semifinal was very noteworthy as Tulsa stunned Wichita State. Tulsa, which had won on a walk-off against Houston in the first game, didn't score a ton of runs this weekend. It was clearly about the teams that were able to come through in the one or two situations maybe you had a chance to, and the Shockers, with their great offense, just couldn't do it against Tulsa. Now, there was no pressure on Wichita State because they were, even though they had never won the Americans, surely they wanted to be the champs. They were going to the NCAA tournament. Regardless, they were not playing for the ability to host or anything like that, and we'll end the hour telling you how they ended up, but they definitely made the tournament. Tulsa, meanwhile, with a 2-1 to win in eight innings, was going to play the winner between USF and UCF, and there was no way that the Bulls would be looking past the Knights, who, yes, had beaten them 11 straight times, going back to the four-game series to end the 21 regular season, where the Bulls won the first game, and if they had actually won the series, it would have been the one seed, but lost the next three, and then got beat in the conference tournament, and then last year, good games in Tampa, but they lost them all, got run-rolled in last year's championship. So, these teams had only played twice in the conference tournament, Knights won them both, Earlier this year, the results were very, very similar. All the games were low-scoring and close. It's not like UCF destroyed the Bulls, but they didn't have to. They just needed two runs for their AAC Pitcher of the Year, Sarah Willis, who was also the most outstanding performer in this tournament. Bulls' own freshman pitcher, Peyton Dixon, did not seem phased by anything. And while UCF would turn some big-time defensive plays The Bulls, as you'll hear in this pivotal sequence in the very bottom of the first inning, as the Bulls were the visiting team as the lower seed, could have made a play to make it a quiet inning, and instead, well, UCF made some noise.
1: Peyton Dixon looking pretty unfazed by her first conference tournament situation. That ball is high in there. It's going to be a tough play by Cadlib, and she will misplay it. That's going to go down probably as a base hit. Cadlib could have caught it. He may give her an error, but either way, Evans is going to be on first base. That's Aubrey. And Chloe Evans now comes up, a 3.49 hitter. Got to tell you, this is one of those games, and it's been a while, that I don't, un- don't anticipate sitting down much. Uh-oh, that one is whipped deep to left field. Going back on it is Hanlon, and it's all through the wall. That's a two-run homer. And UCF grabs the lead. They bound out of the dugout. That one barely got out of here. Let me tell you, Emily Hanlon made a bid. But the Knights jump on top.
0: You just heard two of their three hits on the day. Again, they didn't exactly crank out much offense, but that ball off the bat of Chloe Evans, she's the Minnesota transfer who somehow was not a first-team all-conference pick. They had five deserved members of the first team, and she got on the second team despite leading them in batting average and RBI. The Bulls couldn't get anything much going in their next two at-bats, even though they were making decent contact against Willis. But again, Dixon was getting through it pretty quickly. Then and this was the first of several, unfortunately. What looked like a promising moment get quickly wiped away.
1: Jordan Cadler whacks it up the middle off the bag and she's gonna stay at first base. That actually gave a pause that she could have made a turn for second, but the Knights have pulled up their first baseman Shannon Doherty, fully anticipating a bunt here from Kathy Garcia, but she's a candidate to pull the bat back and whack it bat back and whack it into the outfield. Tongue twister there. She goes to the left side. This could be two over to second for one first double play, and that ball was hit so hard you knew it right off the bat. Williams made the turn quickly, and a six-four-three. So the Bulls enjoy a base runner for all of four seconds.
0: Actually, with how long it takes Willis to deliver between pitches, that was more of really about forty-five seconds. And unfortunately, it was the first of several to come. Yes, we said that entering the conference tournament, in other words, during the regular season, the Knights turned 11 double plays, not 400, which it seemed like on this day. Here are some of the other highlights of how the season came to an end. Potential rallies in each of the last three innings, double plays ending a couple, and in the middle in the sixth, well, something you don't expect and was really a gut punch. Here's how it went. We'll try and speed these highlights up, but in case you didn't hear them, yep, gotta play them.
1: Where's the tribal piece? Trying to start off with something here in the fifth inning. Wells RBI leader. And she lines that one up the middle. Williams just can't get to it. She was able to hold on and completely power through that changeup. So the Bulls have their second hit. And she's off and running, and the ball's golfed into left field for another base hit. And for the first time today, the Bulls have two runners on base. Ryan Eidemann. And we're talking about how the Bulls left so many runners on base in the last meeting 10. This is the kind of scenario where you have to execute. So I get second him at first, wide pinch running for tribal piece. You let off the end and she inches up in the box. And I don't think she checked her swing there. No chance Yeah, She's out. Absolutely. And Castro up the middle. Williams fields it, flips it to second for one. First for two. What a play. Straight out of her glove. A second double play ball. And the Bulls. Well, that's how it's gone all year long against UCF. Not a small thing is how hot it's been. She did pick up Grace Jewell in the third inning and did throw 63 pitches, so who knows? Pitch count could be a thing if you carry it over to what was an early afternoon game yesterday. She takes the ball well low, tries to get her to chase. Oh my gosh, they just gave him an out on the base paths. Jordan Cadleb tries a backdoor steal and gets thrown out for the second out. Ken Erickson turns around. Mystified as I am. And she, oh, I see what she did. She thought she could go on the throwback home, but the catcher nabbed her. So two outs, bowls down two to nothing. Good news is they'll have their big bats coming up with Pond hopefully not to lead off the seventh inning. Hopefully she comes up this inning. And it's Sheehan who is grounded out and walking it on. Garcia over at first base. Full count. Here's the delivery, and Swanamore struck and that's how it's going. That ball bounces in, and Cody should be able to take the bag. Or boy, well, there's a break on the base path. Yay! A break for the Bulls. I didn't think it was possible. The Bulls are not going down without a fight in this one. And then some unfortunate things that have happened, but two fortunate things here in the last 20 minutes or so. Wild pitch that should have advanced a runner didn't. Or bounced in pitch, and then that error to start this inning off. Oh, i give given mean, this could be another double play. to short. Williams takes it herself, and that's how the game will end. Jasmine Williams, the star of the day for the UCF Knights. Three double plays in the game, and that's how the Bulls' chances come to an end.
0: Sometimes the other team just has your number, and unfortunately it's the team that had the Bulls' number being UCF. The Knights would just destroy Tulsa Saturday in the championship game nine to one in five innings that was the doubly disappointing part not saying the Bulls would have won by the same score but they would not have had to play Wichita and yeah there would be a pretty excellent chance that they're in the NCAA tournament right now UCF got sent to Tallahassee Wichita by the way to Stillwater will give you more details at the end of the hour on those and we're definitely not done giving you details on softball a lot of positives to look forward to Next season, especially freshman pitcher Peyton Dixon. Do want to mention Jordan Cadlep because she had the rough plays. but Because, as I said on Twitter, she had the two hits against the Knights. She was just trying to make something happen, obviously. She actually got her batting average with those two hits to its highest point, not only this season, but at any point during her four years with the Bulls. So, a lot of good stuff. But the Bulls season is over. They certainly had the credentials to make the NIT version in softball because I looked at the field and the eight team NISC right when I woke up actually on Monday and a couple of good Big Ten teams. One of the Bulls played Iowa, the other being Maryland, were in that field and some teams that were outside of the top 100. The Bulls finished in the 60s and one team that was below 500, San Jose State, playing at the eight-team event in Fort Collins, Colorado. Obviously, the Bulls did not choose to go to that event. Well, the baseball team won a tremendous game on Friday, but Got outclassed by Wichita on Saturday. And now at 7-14 and 14 in the conference first, 17 hits in a 10-9 win where they're up 10-4 to and held on at the end, similar to last Saturday against Memphis. But the Bulls' Riley Skeen did the job this time. And boy, did the offense do the job to get to that point. And a lot of it after two were out. That was really the important part as the Bulls fell behind one nothing, scored three runs in the second. All with nobody on and two outs and sparked by Marcus Brodell and Jackson Mayo at the bottom of the order. Brodell with a walk, Mayo with a bloop single to tie it, Bobby Bozer with a bloop single for the lead, and then Drew Brutcher with a near-home run that actually almost got caught but carried back into the ballpark for a double. Then, after Wichita had tied the score at four, and they roll back out there on a roll, Clark Candiotti, who had won his last seven decisions, and the Bulls get him for four in the sixth, all after none on two out. Drew Brutcher with a full-count walk, and the big hit was the triple by Raphael Betancourt. This, to me, what he did is more impressive than hitting for the cycle. He had three doubles and a triple. Four hits in the game. Two RBI. Now, the triple was a great effort by their center fielder, who Kyle McDonald was trying to make an incredible catch, and it rolled underneath his glove and scored a couple. Then Joaquin Monkey sliced a two-run double. Later, Bobby Boser, a two-run homer. And, yeah, that was all needed because Wichita State cut a 10-4 lead to 10-9. Bulls win it. And then... With weather on Sunday, they played a doubleheader on Saturday, and the Bulls just were not close. 9-2 to two and 12-1 to one losses in seven innings. Hunter Mink actually for the second straight time struck out nine but ran into trouble in the middle of the game, and the Shockers just have some tremendous bats, and their pitchers are outstanding. Peyton Toley, who is going to probably be the player of the week in the conference, had a couple of home runs in one day and got the win going seven innings and striking out ten Bulls in the first game, 9-2. to two. Nolan Hoody got the start in the second game. Austin Grouse struggled as Wichita scored seven in the fourth against him. 12-1 run rule. And the Bulls are now 7-14 and in conference, 19-33 overall. They are tied with Tulane for the last two spots, but they have the tiebreaker. So it's your perspective. Do you want to avoid being in last place because it's embarrassing? Or do you want to be in last place because it gives you Houston probably instead of East Carolina. Think about it. The Bulls win the series against the Pirates later this week. It would be great, but it would probably put them right against East Carolina in the first game of the conference tournament because the Bulls winning the series would give them the seven and East Carolina probably the two. So there's a lot still to come. We'll talk more about it on Tuesday's broadcast of the Bulls against Stetson and also on that broadcast We'll talk more about the injury to Daniel Cantu, who did not play this past weekend and is maybe out for the season. And don't know if you were following along with the men's basketball Twitter page over the last few days, but several members, not just of the coaching staff, with Desmond Oliver, who is nearly 30 years into his coaching career, last two as the head coach at East Tennessee State, and five to six year stints at Tennessee, most recently, and Georgia. So big time experience added to the staff. And a bunch of players, even though the roster on gousfbulls.com is not fully updated, we can finally tell you some new guys. We'll get to the women in just a second, but another one of those former Kennesaw State Bears who was outstanding, Brandon Stroud, a defensive-minded guard, averaged a career high nine points last year with six and a half rebounds and 50 steals. So joining Chris Youngblood, who was their leading scorer, Stroud, along with Kayson Jennings, a guard on the Bulls' roster. Kaysen, not to be confused with Kashawn Pryor, who actually is from Chicago, 6'10", 200 pounds, began his career at Boise State, only appeared in 15 games or so. But then last year, lit it up for Northwest Florida State College, averaging more than 15 points a game. Can hit the three, made 43 of them last year. Oh, speaking of hitting the threes, UNF second-leading scorer, Jose Placer, a 6'1 guard, who made 73 Three pointers last season, including 10 in a game against Kennesaw State. Yes, he made 10 three pointers. Amir Abdulrahim noticed that when he dropped 32 points. He actually had two other 30 plus point performances last year for his career, averaged in each season around 14 points a game. So a big time shooter there. And a big time familiar name from Tampa Catholic. And yes, the brother of Kevin Knox, Kobe Knox, who comes to the Bulls, transferring in back from Grand Canyon out in Phoenix, a 6'5 guard who redshirted two years ago and then worked his way gradually into the starting lineup about the midway point of this season, ended up averaging around five points a game. And we're anticipating a new member of the women's roster getting added every day, the one that was announced Monday, a 6'2 forward, a four-year player at Cal, Evelyn Schipholz. She is from the Netherlands She started every game her last three seasons. She's not a three-point shooter. She's going to be a true underneath performer, averaged around nine points and six rebounds for the Golden Bears last year. We'll start to interview some of these coaches and new student athletes throughout the summer months on Bulls Beat. That'll wrap up the Monday show. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow night
1: for baseball and the Derek Sharp.